right, grab your date. We'll see you soon. Uh, we prefer that your date is also your spouse or someone you're engaged to. Let's make it legit. It's going to be a great night. Hey, I am so glad that you are here. Anytime we get any kind of snow, there's always this question, we're going to have church, we're not going to have church. If I can make it over here, we're going to have church. Because here's the deal. They said, okay, we could, do a, we could just video, do a pre-video. I would rather be in here with a dozen people than look into a camera for 45 minutes. I got used to the parking lot for a year, and that was weird, but I overcame it. I just can't look into the eye of a camera and talk for 45 minutes. And I know some of you say, well, let that help you preach shorter messages, to which I say, you shut up. There you go. Now, I am so glad that you are here, and uh, as, as we got this big blanket snow coverage, I can't help but consider what spiritually the, the image of that is. It's what the grace of God does through Jesus Christ. It offers blanket coverage to all of the imperfections. And you know what that's like. You know, every place you go, maybe in your own yard. I mean, I got a confession. I have a, dry, a washing machine on the side, sitting on the side uh, awning of our barn. Okay, we're going to give it to somebody, and there it sits. I'm one of those. I don't have a couch on the front porch yet, but I do have a, a washing machine on the, at, at the barn. But when it snows like this, it just covers all of the ugly and all of the imperfections, and that is what God does. And so that being said, I have enjoyed it, and now I'm going to have a knee replacement on Tuesday, and then I'm ready to go to the lake in July at 95 degrees. That's my schedule. Okay, And hopefully you're like me, you enjoyed the snow, but if you're ready for the snow to move on and spring to get here, just say amen. That's most of you, it's good. Now, we are in Acts chapter 8. Uh, we've been seeing in this incredible book of the early church some, some really hard stuff. I mean, we've talked about uh, alcohol consumption, we've talked about women in ministry, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about uh, gossip, uh, we're talking about prejudice, just the fun stuff in the Bible, okay? And so we're going to talk about it again today. Today is part two of the message called Flesh and Bones, Flesh and Bones. Everybody say Flesh and Bones. That is what God sees when he sees all of mankind. He simply sees flesh and bones, image bearers of him. And so the image is broken. Jesus steps into the picture to restore us as image bearers of God. That's his goal. His goal for everybody is the same. doesn't matter what flavor of everybody we're talking about. That His goal is for us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That's it. We can do it here, practice it here one day in heaven. We will conform to his image. So let's talk about prayer. Prejudice a little bit. Let's recap. Prejudice is a widespread reality, and it's a very complex issue. Well, I told you that last week. It's broad in its spectrum. It impacts and affects people of every race and economic demographic, religious persuasion, political view, physical capability, and any other variation that you want to consider that we see in this beautiful mosaic that God calls mankind. And so I said last week, and I will say it again this year, we are not going to solve any of those prejudices. That's not our, our goal. That's not the Scripture's goal, to solve those one at a time. What we want to learn is as Christians, as people who are have the heart of God now, he's given us a flesh heart, taken out our dead heart, stone heart, and we have the heart of God, we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, we have the mind of God because Jesus has now saved us and redeemed us. When we have that, we're children of God, how do we navigate in a world that is just chock full of of prejudice. That's what we're going to talk about. And to understand that, we can read scripture and we can see a great example of how to do it. Because at the end of the day, 
prejudice is a problem of the heart. When I have prejudice against someone or a group of people, it's a problem with my heart. When you have a prejudice against an individual or a group of people, it is a problem of your heart. And so the only thing that can change that is God. The only person that can change that is God. It's not me. You, you can read a self-help book. You can have a New Year's resolution. But at the end of the day, you cannot fix this problem because it's a condition of the heart. So I want you to know today that this problem is a big problem, a problem that legislation and regulations will never resolve, a problem that retaliation and reparations will never uh, solve, a problem that politics and protest will never make go away, a problem that is a problem of the heart. Everybody say, I got a heart problem. Because we said last week, you're prejudiced, I'm prejudiced. Everybody carries some level of prejudice. And, and often we'll kind of tuck it away or give it justification. And meanwhile, if we pay attention and listen to the Holy Spirit, we realize that we all have some level of prejudice in our life. And so, so at the end of the day, what we've got to learn to do is take on the heart of God, look through biblical lens, and realize all of mankind are simply flesh and bones. And so last week we saw as Philip pressed through the first two prejudices, which were religion and culture, when he went into the, the scripture says he went down to Samaria. And Samaria was a place that the Jews hated. Samaria was a place that hated the Jews. Samaria was a place that Jesus referenced by uh, telling the story of the good Samaritan out of all of the people on the world, uh, in the world who, who stepped out of their comfort zone to help somebody else, it would happen to be a Samaritan. And so Philip realizes now, because he's just like you, he's just like me, he's just a human being, he was a Jew, very uh, secure in his Judaism, and very confident in the fact that he was part of God's chosen people, but now something has changed. And, and so he goes down, Stephen is dead, and he is given the challenge or the command to go down to Samaria to, to share the gospel. And so while he's there, there's this enormous revival, I guess, broke out um, where people are just saved by the thousands. Be there's miracles happening. Uh, people are following Jesus in baptism. I mean, it is coming unglued. The gospel is penetrating this hated people group called the Samaritans. And, and after all this is happening, even Peter and John come down, pray over them, authenticate the spread of the gospel by giving them the Holy Spirit, by delivering the Holy Spirit to them. And so in, in the life of an evangelist, which is what Philip is now, he started as a deacon or certainly doing the work of a deacon uh, in chapter 6, he and six other men, Stephen being one, now Stephen's been martyred. And so Philip has now become an evangelist, and he's referred to as evangelist other places in Scripture. And for an evangelist, for somebody that preaches, it's a good day. He's having a good time. He goes in, he shares the gospel like he knows how to do, like he's confident in proclaiming. And people are just coming forward and being saved. And people are just wanting to be baptized. And great things are happening. It would be a good place, much like Jerusalem, just to establish some roots. Let me pastor the church in Samaria. It's a good day in the neighborhood. I'm glad to be finally in this place that I've always hated. He was in a good place, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8 didn't say go and share the gospel and then dig in roots and stop. You see, the gospel was given with wheels. 
The gospel was given with feet. The gospel was given to move. The gospel was given to be taken to the world. You remember what Jesus said? He said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, he says, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's, it, the, the gospel was never intended to stop in Jerusalem. And the gospel was never intended to stop in your life or in your home or in our church. The gospel was given to take to the world. And so it's time for it to travel. So number one, we saw last week um, how to press through prejudice about religion and culture. This week, we're going to see even a deeper one, a one that we're probably more comfortable with because it's one we're more familiar with. I don't mean comfortable like we like it. Comfortable meaning it's easier to understand. I'll call it ethnic and socioeconomic prejudice. Ethnic and socioeconomic prejudice. Listen to what it says now in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, then an angel of the Lord. These guys are showing up. Now, we talked about it. We always need to remember when the Word of God references an angel, it's not a little chubby guy playing a harp, okay? That's false. That's fake. That's unreal. And I told you Al Mohler said, uh, angels weren't created to bring cuteness to the environment, okay? Angels are messengers of God. They evoke fear and, and power and, 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 and awe in, in men when, when men experience the presence of an angel. Angels are given to worship God and share messages from God. Angels stand at the starting block in G waiting on O. They're ready to travel, ready to share whatever it is that God tells them to do. Now this angel shows up and he's speaking to Philip. And it says now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up, go south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and this is a desert road. Now, we're familiar with Gaza. It's in the news all the time. And so this is the area that we're talking about, a very real story, a very real person in a very real place. And so he says, I want you to go on this desert road that leads from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Now, keep in mind, he's in a good place, man. He's in a comfortable place. God's just pouring himself out on this people group in Samaria. And, and sometimes, church, we do that. We get in a little holy huddle, man, and it feels good. We got a little network. We got a little circle. We got a little group that we're just enjoying life with, that we're enjoying church with, that we're, doing, we're experiencing some level of spirituality with. But all the while, God is like, hello, there's still a world out there. You need to break up your holy huddle, and you need to go tell the world. And that's what we're looking at. So often the reason why we huddle so much, the reason why we come into groups so much, and groups are good. We, 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 um, we promote groups all the time. Kendra and I teach a group, amazing group, okay? We want you to be in a group. But your group is not designed so you can just have a holy huddle. Your group is designed to encourage each other and to help each other so you can be more of who it is that Jesus wants you to be. Now, I want you to notice now the ingredient to being a powerful missionary. That's what we all are. At the end of the service, we're going we're gonna to commission Tanner. Don't, don't let me forget that. We're going to commission him because he's going to Kenya. Okay, he's leading a team. I think this is the first time he's led a team to Kenya. So glad he's going. Okay, 
Tanner can do it. Tanner can handle anything. He's going to do it. But sometimes we think, okay, that group's going to Kenya. Okay? That's what missionaries are. Uh, sometimes we send a group to the Philippines. That's what missionaries do. Uh, sometimes we send people often to Honduras. That's a missionary. Sometimes we have people who live there. Oh, that's a missionary. Everybody look next to you. Look at the person next to you. If they are saved, now I say if because I know you wonder sometimes, but if they are saved, they are a missionary. Y'all are missionaries, missionaries, missionaries. Major, you're a missionary. Macon, you're a missionary in red overalls. That makes you even better, okay? We're missionaries. We're all missionaries. Now, what's the key ingredient to being a fantastic missionary? Now, keep in mind, you're not a missionary unless you're born again. And if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So that's already taken care of. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the key. But what is the key? What is the next key to making you a powerful missionary? We see it in the life of Philip. It is not special training, programming, or education. It's just not. It's not a, a schedule uh, and a program and, and a plan with all the details. It's not that. It is not gaining financial support while you're on the trip. It is not a big audience that you get to speak to. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And, and often, a, a good missionary has those things. But I want you to understand the key to being a powerful missionary, listen to me, is you. It's simply you. You don't need all that stuff. God has already put it in place. He told us in Acts 1-8, he's going to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we will be good witnesses, missionaries. And now all that's waiting, the only part of the equation that's missing is my and your obedience to the call, the commission, and the command of God in our life. Verse 27, so what does Philip do? So he got up and went. I just love that. The scripture is so incredibly clear about just, he, he gets, it gets real focused, the Holy Spirit does, when he, when he inspires Luke to write the book of Acts. He, he says, I want Philip, I want you to go to Samaria. It says, so Philip went down to Samaria. He says, uh, Philip, now I want you to go to a desert road down to Gaza. And it says right here, so he got up and went. That is the key to being a powerful missionary. Obeying scripture, which says, go ye, go you, therefore, into all the world, making disciples. That's, it all, it's all contingent. It all hinges on our willingness to go. Adrian Rogers said this, God did not save you so you could join Christians Anonymous. He said that we are saved to help others be saved. Did you know that? God saved you because of his infinite love. God saved you because he's building the bride of Christ, the church. But God saved you so he could use you to help other people be saved like you, to replicate or reproduce yourself. And so one man grabbing hold of, of this profound reality that we are here for a limited time to share the gospel, he says, since I was saved, I have never been afraid of dying. But now that I understand the Great Commission, I'm ashamed to die. In other words, he doesn't want to show up in heaven empty-handed. 
No followers, no people that he's led to Jesus Christ. No people that he's participated in the greatest rescue mission on the planet. Rescuing people from hell, setting them on a path to heaven. So God may use you to be a missionary to one or to a dozen or a thousand. And it doesn't matter. That's, what's, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It'll speak to tens of thousands and it will speak one-on-one to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, or somebody that we work with. And so, let's keep reading. 27b now. Philip has gone down just like he was told. It says, there he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. And he came to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning home, sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. Uh, So far, there's no prejudice. There's no opportunity for prejudice. Other than Philip being unwilling to go um, down to Gaza, to this desert road. But now, we're going to enter into an opportunity where it would be real easy to carry some level of prejudice and not share the love of Jesus Christ. Philip is a Jewish evangelist. And now he's getting ready to step into a complex presentation of prejudice opportunities, a plethora of options to make him not want to share with this individual. And I want you to realize, before we read the next passage, before we get into it, this is the world we live in. We walk around in a world just like Philip where we pass people on the street. We stand in front of somebody at the grocery store. Well, I know that's automated now, but you check out. The little lady that's doing nothing tells you thank you, okay? But but we we pass people all the time, right? Uh, We drive through the drive-thru, and I know if you go to Chick-fil-A, they're all saved going to heaven anyway, but we still go through there, okay? We run into people all the time, and we we live in a neighborhood that's very transient, moving around. There are always new people coming in. And, and days go by, weeks go by, months and years go by. We never invite them to church. We never share the gospel with them. We never serve them. We never do anything to build a relationship. Meanwhile, it is likely that they're hellbound, lost in their sins. And, and so we've got to break out of that. Philip is a perfect example. So, so Philip shows up. Now, let's unpack who it is he just, he's meeting. An Ethiopian. Well, what is that? An Ethiopian is, in that day, it was northern Africa, northern Sudan. And, and the word Ethiopian, just that word, was the standard for dark-skinned people, for black people. It was the standard. And if you go to Ethiopia, you would understand why. Okay, so it's the standard. So here's a Jew who probably had brown skin, but now he's going to go to a person who has much much browner skin, okay? Number two, he's a eunuch. Do you know what that is? A eunuch is, in in this context, it could be somebody who's celibate, but in this context, the Greek word means that he was impotent. What does that mean? It means he's been neutralized. It means he's been emasculated. It means he's been, in the terms of canine family, neutered, okay? Now, all of a sudden, here's a black man who is a sexual deviant, not like the standard, not for wrong purposes, not for some illicit idea, not for some foolish agenda, but because it's the the nature of his occupation, which we'll talk about. 
So he's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He also serves for Queen Candice, who's the queen of Ethiopia. He's a, in Tennessee terms, a furner, okay, a foreigner. He's not like us. He's not from here. He doesn't fly our flag, okay? He is from a different nation. And also, it says he is a court official. It means he had a position that provided power and also provided prosperity. So everything about this guy is setting him up to be somebody that Philip ain't going to like. And in your world, if somebody moves in your, ha- in your neighbor, in the house next to you, becomes your neighbor, let's just get real. And let's just say they have real dark skin, or let's just color outside the lines. Let's say they're Asian, okay, and they just look different than you. And, and let's, just, let's just pretend that the first week they're in there, they fly their flag. Maybe it's a Japanese flag. Maybe it's a Russian flag. That gets you fired up, okay? And, and maybe everything about them is different. How would you feel? Would you feel like, hey, baby, you tell you why. Baby, do you see our new neighbors? Yeah, they got that Russian flag hanging. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I saw him out in the yard shoveling snow. He had one of them big goofy Russian hats with the ear flaps folded up. He's full-blown Russian. Okay. What do you, what, oh, and your wife, because mine would be, what do you think? You think they're invading the neighborhood, you know? And what if you just said, I don't know, but I'm going to go talk to him. What are you going to talk to him about? Jesus. <laughs> right? How many of y'all going to do that next week? None. Don't even lie. Okay? Philip says, he don't look like me. He don't act like me. He's got a different allegiance than I do. He's got some issues going on on his physical body. But you know what? That guy needs Jesus. Looks like somebody that I need to tell. You see, it begins to change. It, all of a sudden, the blinders are off. The prejudice lens is removed, and we begin to see everybody, regardless of their variation or difference, we begin to see them as simply flesh and bone, an image bearer of God. Now, imagine getting this job. You you go to uh, Indeed or ZipRecruiter, and and you look up this, you see this job posted, and it says this, CFO, Secretary of the Treasury, position open. Location, Ethiopia. Reports directly to the queen. A degree is expe- and, or experience is required. Familiar with the newest technology, especially the abacus. Now, very fine print on this job description says neutralized, emasculated, or castrated, or soon will be. You really got to want this job. All of a sudden, you really got to be hungry. I mean, the, the kids are hungry. Right? Because you're going to take that job. That's the job he had. And Philip was given the opportunity to share the gospel with someone so diverse from him, so different from who he was. And so Philip could have said, like we would say, he could have picked up the banner of ethnic or racial prejudice, and he said, hey, God, I know you're telling me to go down there, but I don't know if you've noticed, but he's black. I mean, he's really dark. And we, sometimes people say the dumbest stuff. You know, like, I, I don't really like black people. Well, who do you like? Well, I like white people. Okay, what, you like albinos? What, I mean, what, I, I, get, I get sick of that stuff. Oh, I'm white. I have to register as white. You see him in the summer? 
I, could, I look like a Hispanic Jew. Okay? And, and so what is black? What is white? It's, it's melanin. It's a lot of substances, but primarily melanin, which determines your skin color. So, 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 so how much skin color are you okay with, bro? Okay? I mean, obviously, the Ethiopian, he's got a lot of melanin. Okay? And obviously, maybe the Scandinavian blonde-haired, blue-eyed person has little melanin. Okay? Where are we going to camp out and say, this much melanin is okay? This much color of the skin is okay? It gets real confusing, really really fast well no let's so the guy says no I, it's not about that it's not black white I, I just like Americans <laughs> like the Native Americans with the red skin you know oh no just American Americans European Americans Asian Americans African American which which flavor you see and all of a sudden it gets real confusing he could have moved on he says well I, I, I gotta be honest with you I have a tendency to have some physical prejudices some prejudices about physical differences. I, I, I just don't like people much that are a lot different from me. Like if they look a lot different, and I'm not, not crazy about them. Or maybe I don't like the size variation. I don't like big, heavy people. But I don't like really skinny people because they make me look like a big, heavy person. And so I, I don't like people of big variation and broad variation of size. I, some people's hair. I don't know why they cut their hair that way. You know, I, I don't like disabilities. I, I, don't like when, I don't like when people come up in my business and they've got some physical disability. I, I don't like manly women or, or womenly men. I, I'm really going to have a problem, God, with the guy who intentionally took care of business, who's intentionally a eunuch. I, I mean, I don't know if I can handle that or not. And so all of a sudden, we, we package ourselves into a little group of people that we like. And in this particular physical situation, what do we like? Is it, it, I, I don't mind if it's plus or minus 25 pounds, okay? You know, so if it's a man, if he's 175 to 225, he's okay. That would put me out by 10, okay? So, so let's move it up. Let's say it's 185, you know, to 235 or whatever it is. Then it's okay, plus or minus 25 pounds. Uh, what about height? Well, I, I, don't, I don't like people who are really short, and I don't like to look up like this. I sure don't like to look up a woman to a woman because it kind of scares me. So I, I think a good height is my height, plus or minus 6 inches. And as long as they'll fit into that category, then I'm, I'm going to be okay with them. Or what about hair? You know, I, I like people with red hair, but I don't like people with real blonde hair, you know? I, I like people with black hair, but I don't like, like the guy that preaches who hair can't figure out if it's supposed to be black or white. Or I don't like hair that's all falling out. I bald people freak me out just a little bit, okay? Now, now, now this is what we do. It, it's what we do. We, we package people. And, and if they fit in our package, we're going to be good with them. But if they're outside of our comfort zone for some reason, then all of a sudden... We have a problem. So how much, by the way, disability is okay, right? Hearing aids, that's okay. Uh, contact lenses, that's okay. But one thick shoe, no, that's out. Can't have a thick shoe. You can have hearing aids and glasses, can't have a thick shoe. You know, that's what we do. 
And meanwhile, God looks from heaven and he says, what are you doing? It's flesh and bones. These are image bearers. All of the complexity of mankind are the fingerprints, are the fingerprints of my greatness. So the Ethiopian could have said, well, he's a foreigner, and I, I don't like people from other countries. I mean, I don't like people who are Palestinians right now. I don't like Russians right now. I don't really like North Koreans. I don't know any, but I watch the news, and I don't think they like us. So I don't like them either. And, and I don't like Hispanics because they work too hard. And I don't like other groups because it doesn't seem like they want to work at all. So what do we want? We want a people that just works okay, and they act like us, and they're nice. And if they're not that, then I don't want anything to do with them. What about economic? This man had access to resources. He's the secretary of treasury to the Ethiopian queen. And so how do we have privilege? How do we display privileges, excuse me, um, prejudices against that? Uh, we say, I'm not crazy about people who have a lot of money. You know sometimes if somebody rolls up in your business and they're driving some kind of big blingy brand new ride, you know it kind of sets you off. But if somebody comes rolling up in a $300 sled, smoke bowling out the back, that sets you off too. I want somebody who makes kind of amount of money that I do, that drives the kind of car I drive, that lives in a house like me. And if they live in one of these lifestyle and the rich and famous homes, then I probably don't want anything to do with them. But if they live downtown on the street, I probably don't want to have anything to do with them either. And all of a sudden, we realize how in the world are we supposed to keep up with what and who we're prejudiced about? Because it's a moving target. And meanwhile, Philip says, I got an idea. God said, go to all the world and be my witnesses. And he didn't give us any details about who we're going to run into. And I think 2,000 years ago, when the angel told Philip that, it was a truth that carries 2,000 years forward. And it's supposed to be true for us today, flesh and blood. Now, it's interesting. It says the Ethiopian had been to Jerusalem to worship. What is he worshiping? Okay. This is a really interesting thing. I, I, I learned something here. I learned something every week. This, I never really got this. It's kind of cool. So why is he there? Some suggest, some theologians suggest that, that he had heard about this religious thing called Christianity. And he had traveled with his entourage down to Jerusalem to see what's going on, right? But only to find out when he got there, he's exempt. He's out. He's an Ethiopian. His bloodline is the wrong bloodline to be adopted into the Jewish family. Not only that, he, he, would, have been, he would have known that eunuchs are not allowed to be in the assembly of God. That, that exempts you. you. You can't get in. So that's what he found out, and so now he's traveling back. But notice, we're going to notice in a second that he has Scripture with him. He has a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And so some people believe that the Ethiopian simply was a man like everybody else who came to a crossroads in his life where he realized royalty and resources won't satisfy this empty void in my soul. I've tried 
shoving square pegs in the round hole before, and it just doesn't work. I am empty. I, I, I feel separated. I, 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 I feel incomplete, and he was incomplete. And so he went to a place searching for something that would fill that void. Now, when he was there, no doubt, because he has Isaiah, he, he would have been told that Deuteronomy told him, bro, listen, we, you know, you're, you got a great crew with you here, this entourage rolling up in your, you know, in your black armored uh, soldiers and your black armored chariot, you know, with spear-proof sidewalls, you know, because you've like secret service rolling in here. Man, you, you're somebody, you've got it going on. But I got to tell you, man, you're a eunuch. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 23, you can't be included. And so now he's even more dejected. He said, I went to this place where God apparently hangs out, and now I'm told I'm not included. But maybe, just maybe, while he's there, somebody says, listen, Deuteronomy says you're not included, but I need to tell you something. There's a prophet whose name was Isaiah, and he included people like you. He included eunuchs in the equation. In, in Isaiah 56, maybe somebody said, listen, there's hope for you. Isaiah said there would be a day in the future, and it said, this is what it says in Isaiah 56, 4, for this is what the Lord says, for the eunuchs who observe my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and are faithful to my covenant, I will set up within my temple and my walls a monument that will be better than sons and daughters. And now he's doing a happy dance, man. This was the information he was looking for, that there's a day coming when eunuchs will be included, when people who have a different skin color, and a different lineage, a different bloodline, they're going to be included too, man. This is awesome. And so he's got resources. So apparently he purchased a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And so... That's what every story looks like, somebody who's saved. Did you know that? It looks like this Ethiopian who one day in their life, because of a series of circumstances or events, a storyline is being written called life in the, a person, and there's a day coming when there's like a void. There's like we realize something's broken. I'm missing something on the inside. And, and so he didn't have all the answers, but he starts looking. He starts inquiring. He starts traveling around, looking to see if maybe there's something that will make me complete, that will fix this brokenness that I feel inside. And he landed in a, the right place on a desert road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza. Listen to me. That's how God does it. I was a little boy, not even 10 years old. My parents took me to church every time the church was open. Sometimes they had keys. They opened it just to shove us in there, see if God would save us, right? Every time there's a revival, me and my three brothers, we're stacked up in there. We're, we're listening. Every time the church is open, we're listening. Every time my mom's down there making the bulletin or practicing the piano, we're out there climbing under the pews. I mean, we're there. Bible school, we're there. Everything, we're there. They were putting us in a place where we would hear the gospel and providing opportune time for the Holy Spirit to invite us into God's family. It's why it's important that you attend church with your children. Put them in a place, man, where they're going to hear the gospel. Put them in a place where the deck is stacked so that they can hear from God, okay? They're not going to hear it at the ball field. No. Oh, you, 
Y'all, yes, they are. My, I had an eight-year-old said a prayer. Okay, so what? Ain't nobody got saved at that. Okay? They're, they're not going to hear it in the places of the world. They're just not. Okay? And there's a rare exception. Very, very, very rare. Uh, you need to do everything possible to, to place them just like this eunuch. To put them in a place where God's going to provide a message from heaven. And that's exactly what God did. Now, it says in verse 29, so the Spirit said to Philip, so now he sees this, this man in his bling, right? He's got his entourage. He's got his stuff. He's rolling. And he says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. I mean, this would be a good opportunity. Hey, God, listen, this is royalty, God. He's obviously has someplace important to be because he's rolling in his chariot. He, he doesn't want to hear. From, he's not even from here. He's an Ethiopian. We probably don't even speak the same language. And if we do, he doesn't want to hear from me. I am a nothing. He said, hey, Philip, go over and join his chariot. So once again, we're learning how we're supposed to be in this prejudiced world. What does he do? Verse 30, so Philip ran up to it. And heard the man reading. I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. He's rolling down there. What's he doing? Hey, bro, what you reading, man? You know, I mean, how, how do you do that? You jump up on this moving thing. You know, what are you reading, bro? I don't know. It just says he, do you notice the obedience, the missing link in most of our lives? The, the, the key to the equation of missional life is that he just ran up to it. He's in. Oh, you want me to go over there? I'm in. And so he ran up to it. And it says, he asked him. Do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how in the world can I unless someone guides me? Now, i gotta, I got to digress right here. So I preach and preach and I share the gospel every week. And, you know, people get, weak, uh, get saved on a regular basis. They follow in baptism. But it's not like it used to be where people just come, you know, by the masses and, and get saved. It's just not like that. But the beauty of it is it doesn't have to be like that. And sometimes it can be. The beauty of it is, and I've shared this story, you know, where I went to, Kendra and I went to a great church in Chattanooga, and we would go visit. We'd knock on doors, you know, and we had this, we'd do the continued witness training or evangelism explosion, these tools for sharing your faith. And you'd knock on the door, and, you know, you had a little script memorized in your head. And not, not totally staged, but to kind of help you navigate through it, ask some key questions to get people to think. You know, if you, if you died tonight, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Some of those things. And, and I would do it, and then we'd have to come back to the church and, and report in about activity. And I did it for like months. I'd go out every Tuesday. I'd come back and they'd say, Joel, how'd you do? And I'd had a partner with me and said, well, we went, to, we went to 12 houses. We shared the gospel nine times and, um, and nobody got saved. Nobody, nobody got saved, you know. Meanwhile, Bill Richards, never will forget his name. He's over here. And he would come to the same meeting. He went to houses that were randomly picked. And he would come back. He said, oh, brother. He said, we shared the gospel nine times and, you know, 28 people got saved. So I went to him one day. Bill. Are you doing the same thing I'm doing? Are you, are you doing CWT? Are you asking the same questions? Yeah, I'm asking the same questions. And man, I was, I'm telling God, God, this ain't my gig. I'm, spe- I don't, I'm supposed to go do something else. This ain't working. And he laughed. And he said, your job is not to save people. My job is not to save people. Your job is to be a witness. You just share. He said, for all I know, you went over there last week. I got the car this week. You planted seeds. I went and watered it, and it harvested 
So don't worry about it. You're not responsible for that. He kind of liberated me, kind of let me know. All of a sudden, you know, pressure's off. I thought, you know, it was like a sales game. You know, you got to get make sales, you know. I got to get people into heaven. And it was, it was not that. And then so one day, not long after I talked to Bill, I knocked on the door. By now I'm saying, hey, my name's Joel. Came from the church. I'm thinking, I probably already know the answer to the question. But if you die tonight, are you sure you go to heaven? And no, but I'd like to know if you would. Well, let me tell you. I tell them the gospel. Would you like to ask Jesus in your life? Yes, I would. And they get saved. And I'm like, you, huh, where's Bill now? You know, where you at, Bill? You know, and, and I'm telling you, all it is is having a conversation. Now, in this particular passage, he, he strangely enough, God has him in a really good place. God has him in Isaiah 53, which we're going to see in a minute. It's a perfect segue to the gospel. I mean, think, it could have been Judges 3. What if he's reading Judges 3? What is Judges 3? It sounds like a bad episode of the game Clue. I believe the Southpaw did it to the fat guy in the parlor uh, with a double-edged dagger. Now you say, that's in the Bible? Judges 3. One of the weirdest passages in all the Bible. What if he was reading that? It's why you and I have to learn the Bible. So if they're reading some off-the-chain something, or, or they're, they're, you have to be so familiar with God's Word that you understand a counterfeit when you hear it. Because people, when, they, when you start talking to them, they'll open up a dialogue a lot about the Bible. Well, you know, the Bible says this. No Bible in sight. You know, you didn't carry one. They don't have one. Where does it say that? Well, I don't know, but it says it. It's in there, you know. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, that ain't in there. Well, it ought to be, you know. I mean, you have to be familiar with God's Word so no matter where they are in their reading, maybe they're not reading the Bible. Maybe they're just reading it. What you been watching on television? Oh, Really? Yeah, I've been watching what's going on. You know, Israel, you know, they need to calm it down and back off. You know, they've been occupying. You ought, you got to be familiar with this stuff so you can say, no, that's, you're, you're getting information wrong. And, and that's what Philip does. He says, Where are you, what are you reading, man? I'm reading Isaiah 53. You know what you're reading? No, I don't. But I wish somebody would tell me. <laughs> well, as you would have it, I'm here on the desert road because the angel of the Lord told me. And here's what he read. He says, so... He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture the man was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, justice was taken from him. Who can describe his posterity? For his life was taken away from the earth. Then the eunuch said to Philip, uh, tell me, who is this prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Why is the eunuch even interested? Because the eunuch wants to be in the, in, the, in the family. The eunuch has been excluded, and he's thinking, there's something here turning in my soul. There's something that could potentially and no longer exclude me, but now include me. And I want to know more. And so Philip started speaking, and beginning with the Scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. I said it before. You don't have to know the answers to the questions of the world. You don't, you can't know them all because the devil's good at asking questions. All you have to know is Jesus. They, somebody asks you, you, say, hey, man, what do, you, what do you think about the Bible? Well, I don't, you know, have you ever, anybody ever told you about Jesus? Well, Jesus, and you say, well, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you what I found out. If you know really, really well the gospel of Jesus, the story of God incarnate, God with a body, God with skin on, 
If you know that God came to this earth, lived a perfect life so he could die on a cross to forgive all of our sin, rose from the dead on the third day, and now he offers forgiveness to everybody. If you can, uh, if you can articulate that with any level of decency, listen to me, the Holy Spirit will take over from there. The Holy Spirit will do the work. You can't mess it up. But you've got to know Jesus. You've got to know him personally in your heart. And you've got to know him intellectually in your mind. You've got to be able to communicate this God that has chosen to save you from your sinful condition. Verse 36, now as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, oh, he says, oh, there's water. He says, what is to stop me from being baptized? Great question. He says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is Christ." The Son of God. Two greatest gifts a person could ever experience. Is one is the Word of God. And two is a witness of God to help clarify it and make sense of it. And God would use you. He wants to use you for that very same thing. And, and, and there's a hundred ways to share the gospel. You can read books about sharing the gospel. But the simplicity of it is you just got to be willing and you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and let God establish and create environments and encounters where you can share the gospel and see people saved. And, and sometimes we live in a world where we say, well, that church over there, they're great at making uh, Jesus followers, but they, they're terrible at making disciples. Well, we're going to see in a minute that your job, although we're called in the Great Commission to make disciples, we're first called to make believers, to make Christians, people who follow Jesus. Verse 38, so he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It, it was just about that easy. That's how somebody gets saved. They're curious. The Holy Spirit begins to stir in their heart. Somebody comes along, shares with them the gospel. They get saved. They say, you know what? The first thing you're supposed to do after you get saved, what's that? Be baptized. What's that? Baptizo's the word. It's supposed to be dipped, dunked, or immersed in water. And this eunuch goes, Where's the, hey, there's some water. What keeps us from doing it right now? Philip said, if you believe what I'm telling you. He said, I believe it all. He said, get in the water. Now, here's another point for, for, for why baptism is immersion. It says they went down into the water. And when did they do it? As soon as he believed. There was an urgency to this first step of believing. Why did he do it? Because it is identification. It is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you identify in this water baptism, and you come out a new creation just like Jesus. And what is it? It's immersion. Listen to verse 39. 39. It says they went down into the water. Guess what they had to do next? Right here in 39, they came up out of the water. Right? They didn't leave him down there. He was baptized in the water, came up out of the water. He saved, and the Spirit of the Lord, listen to this, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him anymore. No discipleship for him. Okay? You got saved. You got baptized. You got the book of Isaiah? Bye. Sometimes we overthink things. There, meanwhile, there's a big God at play here. God the Father, and God the Spirit, and God His Son Jesus. And, and they're all actively pursuing mankind to redeem them. And our part is so small compared to what they're doing. But it's valuable people to people. They want to hear. They want to hear you tell them about the God that you know. They want 
that great God to be personal. And often the way he becomes personal is in a conversation with you. And so sometimes when people accuse the church of not making disciples, tell Philip that. Tell the Holy Spirit that. Man gets saved and baptized, and then he snatched him away. Now, it says, but he went on his way rejoicing. That's what happens when somebody gets saved. They rejoice, man. They, they're heaven bound. All of their brokenness, all of their flaws, all of their sin has been forgiven, erased and eradicated from the record books. God sees this person as a brand new creation. Now, he's still an Ethiopian, and he's still neutralized, and he's still serving a foreign queen. He still lives in a heathen land. He still has prominence and prosperity, but all that's on the outside. Something bigger has happened on the inside. And what happened on the inside is getting him ready for what's going to happen on the other side. You see, now, like the man I referred to earlier, he's not afraid to die because he knows when he dies, he's going to be with the one who saved him. And so many theologians conclude that the eunuch was a man who had been excluded from Judaism, but now it's a picture that all people can be included in Christianity. This man that Jews didn't want, Christianity will take. And let me tell you something about the people downtown. Let me tell you something about the different people in your neighborhood. Let me tell you something about the different people in your schools. Let me tell you about something about the different people in your family and at your work. God says, I sent my son to the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, flesh and blood. <clears throat> Verse 40, Philip, however, found himself at Azotus because he was snatched up, dropped down in Azotus. And, he, and as he passed through the area, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You see, Philip knew that just like Stephen, this could all be over tomorrow. He watched his friend and his brother stoned to death for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so Philip is like, man, they might rock me out tomorrow. So I, the Holy Spirit just snatched me up and dropped me in Azotus. I guess I'm supposed to be here. And I'm headed to Caesarea. So I guess while I'm going, I got a job to do. I'm supposed to tell them too. I said it last week. Sometimes people wonder what God wants you to do next. If you don't know what he wants you to do next, keep doing what he told you to do last it has not changed. If it changes, he will let you know. And so now he's in all of these little villages. Once again, an opportunity for prejudice. Because when we go through villages, listen, if you got on, if you got on the highway and you started up, if you started up uh, 441 from Halls or 25W from, from Clinton Highway over there, and you just started driving north, man, you're going to go through some neighborhoods. You're going to go through them. And if you don't want to go north, if you want to go south, and you want to go through East Knoxville, and you want to roll on up through Sevierville, or you want to end up, there's neighborhoods, there's little towns everywhere, and all of them are different. And all of them can give us reason not to tell them about Jesus. I made a list of things that, that sometimes we say when God tells us to go. And because of their nuances or because of their differences, we just don't want to go. It's like God... I don't really want to go there. Those people like love NASCAR. And they think wrestling is real. That's not my people. 
I'm not supposed to go. That's for somebody else. I, I don't really want to tell that guy about Jesus or ask him about Jesus. He won't even pull his pants up. And he smells like burnt rope. Which if you're not in the drug culture, that's weed. Okay? I, I'm not supposed to go to that guy. Or I, I don't want to go to the guy who's wearing cowboy boots and a Carhartt jacket in July. I'm not supposed to go to that guy. He's way out there. She's way out there. I, I don't want to talk to the guy who's got his muffler chopped off of his Honda Civic and he's blowing vape smoke out at the traffic light. That's not my guy, okay? I don't want to go to that guy. I don't want to go to talk to the person, the guy who's wearing skinny jeans, worshiping a $10 latte at Starbucks. That's not my people. And I could go on and on and on. You know how we do it. You know how we do it. We look around, and, I, and, and if they don't look like us, and act like us, and think like us, and do like us, then they're not one of us. Listen to me. It's exactly what the Ethiopian was. It's exactly what Samaria was. Not like us that means we need to help them be like us not look like us or smell like us but to know Jesus like us to be adopted into God's family like us that's our job that's why he's called us to be missionaries in this world because once upon a time you ready once upon a time you were that Ethiopian you were that Samaritan. You were that person who was outcast from the greatness of God's family. You were the one that was separated from a holy, righteous, perfect God because of your sin, nobody else's, your sin. You were that person. But somebody came and told you the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God and the witness of someone, you heard the gospel you received it in your life and now you're part of God's family what if that person never told you what if your mom or dad never took you to church what if nobody ever shared the gospel with you you would be out there not in here now I'm delighted that you're here and I'm amazed that this many showed up with you know the snow that we've had but I just want to give you a tool not on your life guide. You can write them down. You can go back and listen. I'm, I'm going to call it the 777 Missional Me. I just wrote this. 777 Missional Me. You have seven networks in your life. Seven rhythms of life networks. Social network, that's your friends. Residential network, that's your neighborhood. Familial network, that's your household. Recreational network, that's your hobbies professional network, that's your doctors, your dentists, your accountant. Commercial network, that's the businesses that you frequent. And your vocational network, that's your workplace. You, Most of us have those. Some of us may have retired, you have six. Okay? Most of them, we have. So there's seven networks in your rhythm of life. If you pick one person out of each of those networks, just one, that's seven people. Okay? Now, what do you do with those seven people that God puts on your heart? And you write it down in your phone or you write it down on your notepad or however you do that. 
You write those names down. You decide, this is, this is the networker then that they're in. This is the person that God has put on my heart. What do we do with them then? Are you ready? I'm going to give you seven ways to encounter with them about Jesus. You ready? First of all, pray for them. Take them to Jesus before you take Jesus to them. Pray for them by name. So I'm praying for Tony. He's in my social network. I'm praying for Lisa. She's in my, uh, she's in my uh, familial network, whichever one. I'm praying for this person by name. So you pray for them. Number two, you befriend them. You just, you know, you just start building conversations. Just be nice for crying out loud. Okay, that's a new idea. Okay. Third, find a way to serve them. Find a way to serve them. You know, whatever network it's in, find a way to help them, to come alongside them. Give them some literature. I'm not talking about, hey, you know, man, we've been hanging out, playing golf together, and I just wanted to give you this turn or burn pamphlet, you know, and you open it, you know, it's got a demon on the front and then an angel beside him or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about giving them some, give them something that'll help them. Give them the prayer journal. Maybe that'll help them. Give them, find something to put in their hands. Give them a Bible. So I've been meaning to do this. I'm, our pastor challenges. I've been wanting to give some people Bibles. Would you take a Bible? Give them a Bible. Give them literature. Six, invite them to church. Just invite them. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? Hey, I'd love for you to come to my church. And then last, oh, so next, sixthly, share the gospel with them. You really want to get out, color outside the lines? Tell them, say, listen, our pra- preacher's, He's going nuts wanting us to share the gospel. And I need to practice it. Can I practice it on you? Share, share the gospel. Can I tell you about Jesus? I'm trying to get this in my head. You might be surprised. And lastly, disciple them. Come alongside them. Maybe they're already a Christian. Come alongside them. Help them in the journey. Help them be more of who God wants them to be. And lastly, maybe you're here today. And all this is a lot to chew on. Maybe you just showed up today and you're not a Christian. Okay? Just like the Ethiopian on a desert road, you just happen to show up at the right place at the right time. It is on this day that you're here for some reason. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you figured there's a wacko up there preaching because they're having church in a blizzard. Okay, I don't know. But you're here. Maybe you are just got this thing. You're just kind of searching. You're in the right place. Let me just challenge you, encourage you. Don't stop searching. Keep searching. And you can search all you want to, but I want to tell you, when you will find what you're searching for. You will find it when you meet Jesus Christ because he will satisfy your search. He will satisfy that void in your life and he'll give you eternal hope and eternal life. And just like the Ethiopian said to Philip, what prevents me from being saved today? Which in essence he was saying, what prevents me from being saved today? From God's vantage point, nothing. All of the work is done. He's, it's the finished work of Jesus. He, he's done everything for you. The only thing that prevents you from being saved, and if you are saved, the only thing that would prevent you from being baptized, is you. Is you. You have to choose, just like the Ethiopian, to follow. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for the beauty of the snow. We thank you for the spring that's rapidly coming behind it. We thank you for keeping us safe and warm and meeting our needs even when things are covered in a blanket of snow. We thank you for the picture it provides that the grace of Jesus Christ just falls from the sky and lands across all of the imperfections of our life and just buries it in white, clean purity. 
Thank you for what you do for us through Jesus. God, it's my prayer today that every person will leave with a, with a conscience that's awakened, that they're reminded that they need to be telling people the good story of Jesus. God, if there's some here today who simply don't know you, but they've been searching, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to tenderly work on their heart, soften their heart, penetrate it with the gospel of Jesus, and help them receive the greatest story ever told, which is Jesus Christ and his redemption on a cross. We thank you for everything in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.